Hey, uh, I thought I'd tell you a little uh, something happened this past week. You might en enjoy this. Um, you know, we, we ran out of uh, news, uh, we ran out of toilet paper this week, and uh, we had to use uh, the newspaper. The times are rough. I'm just going to say that. The times are rough. <laughs> and <laughs> All right. Hey, if you are new, welcome to Restoration Church for the jokes. That was a good one, but the preaching hopefully will get better as we go along. <laughs> the times are rough. There we go. All right. I think most of us would, if we're going to be honest, we're like, we would love to have our life matter. Right? We love to have an impact on other people. Again, just to do something positive with their life. And the question becomes, well, how do we do that? How do we make an impact on other people and make our life matter? Is it us doing some great deed? Is it us you know, sacrificing and giving ourselves away? Like, How would we do that? There's an author by the name of uh, William Arthur Ward, and this is what he wrote. He said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you, but encourage me, and I will not forget you. Is that true? Is that, is, is that a true statement? That is it possible for us, if we desire to make an impact on another person, is it possible for us that the way we do that is simply by willing to encourage other people? and be able to make a tremendous impact on another person's life. Well, uh, let me tell you about a Ford Mustang. See, my grandma, uh, when she died, she had a 1973 red Ford Mustang. And that stinking Mustang went to my brother, not me. I'm still bitter over it, like all these years later. Granted, I was only eight at the time, but you know, I'm still bitter. You know, my brother got the Mustang for his first car, and I had a Volkswagen Rabbit that smoked like a chimney. It was terrible. That was my first car. Ah, it's still just bitter in me. Man, uh, but you know what's remarkable is in a small sense, did you know that we can thank Thomas Edison for the Ford Mustang and for the Ford Motor Company? See, 130 years ago, uh, Henry Ford, uh, the guy who made the, the Ford Motor Company, he attended this, this social event where Thomason, Thomas Edison, the great inventor, the guy who made the light bulb and the phonograph and the, the motion picture camera, uh, he had an impact on the telegraph and the telephone. Was the, I mean, can you imagine Thomas Edison if he knew all we could do on our cell phones today? He'd be like, that's remarkable. But Thomas Edison, the great inventor, he was the guest of honor at the social event, and, and young Henry Ford is there. And one of their mutual friends says, come here, Henry, I want to introduce you to Thomas Edison. So he brings him up to Thomas Edison, and he says, hey, hey, Thomas Edison, this young man is trying to make a car that runs on gasoline. And sure enough, Edison, as the genius inventor, he started asking a bunch of questions. Tell me how it works. Tell me, what does this mean? And, and, how, and when the conversation ended, this is literally what, when the conversation ended, Thomas Edison slapped his hand on the table. That wasn't, I broke it even more. That's terrible. He slapped his hand on the table and said, by golly, young man, you've done it. You have it. Your car is self-contained. It carries its own power plant. And what's remarkable is many years later, after Henry Ford became successful, 
He told a newspaper, this is what he said. He said, that bang on the table meant the world to me. At that point, no one had given me any encouragement. I hoped I was headed in the right direction. Sometimes I believed I was, but often I was worried and I wondered. That day, the greatest inventive genius in the world had given me complete approval. That man that knew the most about electricity said, my gas motor was as better than any electric motor could be. All right, so maybe it is a stretch to thank Thomas Edison for the Ford Mustang. But we can recognize like his encouragement was instrumental, if not essential, for Henry Ford becoming successful. So let's give Thomas Edison a round of applause for the Ford Mustang. I know some of you are Chevy guys, and I just got you clapping for a Ford. So there we go. In fact, think about your life. Think about your life. Think about uh, how influential someone's encouragement has been to you. Can you think about it? I mean, maybe you go back to your school days where there was a teacher or someone who just encouraged you and said, man, you can do this. Maybe you had a hobby or a skill, and someone's like, man, I see this in you, and they, they, they encouraged you in that. Maybe it was just in life in general, something coming along and encouraging you. In fact, when I think about encouragement, I think about my friend Jim. Jim is a, a pastor in, in Fremont, California. You know, and, and Jim, like, I can't say he's taught me anything, like, great. I mean, he hasn't taught me how to preach great sermons. I'm still learning to do that. Uh, if somebody wants to teach me, I will gladly learn. Uh, he didn't teach me how to love my wife or raise my kids. He, he didn't do those things. But he's been so powerful in my, in my life the last couple of years simply because of his encouragement. Every time I, I talk to Jim and we talk about ministry and what's happening in the church, his encouragement is, Kevin, you're a great leader. You've got a great church. Keep leading and loving the church the way you're doing. We talk, about, we talk about marriage and where I'm at in marriage. He's like, Kevin, you are a great husband. Keep loving Samantha well. I start talking about my own personal doubt, my own struggle. And he's like, Kevin, you've got an amazing story. God has shaped and gifted you for such a time as this. And I would say that Jim's encouragement and this season of life has been so influential and powerful for me. This year, we spent the majority of the year looking at the book of Acts, trying to see how the early church, it wasn't just an institution where we come and we receive religious services, but how the early church actually became a movement that impacted their city, their region, their state, their country, the world around them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first heard the text that Jake read for this morning, were you kind of like, how are we turning this into a sermon, right? I mean, basically, it's kind of like, well, Paul went here, and he sailed there, and there was all these people who came with him and names you can't even pronounce. Jake could even pronounce. And then they went somewhere else. And then they went to this church service, and they had a young man fall. I mean, he fell asleep during church and fell out the third-story window and died and was resurrected. And then they went some other places. Like, how do you turn that into a sermon? Now, let me tell you, though, when you're reading Scripture, one of the things you want to do, this is, uh, this is what, uh, as a pastor, this is what I do, this is what I encourage you to do as well. When you're reading Scripture, look for things that repeat. Look for words that repeat in a passage. Look for pictures that repeat, themes that repeat. Because when you look in this text, you see in verse 1, you see the word encourage. Verse 2, you see encourage again. In verse 12, you see this uh, term, little comfort, 
which actually comes from the same Greek word, which means to encourage. Yeah, I think the theme for this passage is all about encouragement. And I would say whether we're talking about churches or whether we're talking about individuals, man, all of us need encouragement. In fact, as Christians, we're actually called to be people who encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us consider how we are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, uh, uh, not giving up meeting together, as some have the habit, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Like, we're called as Christians to encourage one another, to encourage the people around us. And the question is why? <laughs> like, why does Scripture tell us to encourage one another? The reality is, as Christians, we are aliens. Our citizenship doesn't belong in this world. Our citizenship belongs to, to heaven and to the kingdom of God. And we're sojourners on the earth. Now, I know the problem with us Christians is we get to the earth and we kind of fall. We, we, we get enamored for the idols. We get enamored for what this world has to offer. But as Christians, like, like our core, our citizenship, man, our hearts should be tied to heaven and to the things of God. And so we're a little bit like Henry Ford. Our life is supposed to be dedicated to God and the world doesn't understand. The world's going to mock us. The world's going to put stuff in our path that makes us doubt. It's going to make our, difficult, make our journey difficult. And this is all the more reason why, as Christians, we should be people who are looking to encourage one another. Now, we start talking about the need to encourage one, of one another. I know some of you all are saying, ha, 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 Pastor Kevin, I don't have the gift of encouragement. It's not my job to encourage everybody. Rowdyus, there are some people that are wired uh, towards encouragement. I think Barnabas, we've read about Barnabas in the book of Acts. He's called the son of encouragement. Listen, I, I, I love those types of people. I would say my friend Jim has this gift of encouragement. We need people like Barnabas and Jim. We need encouragers. But here's the thing. Even if you're not naturally wired to be an encourager, I still think that command in Scripture applies to every one of us that we are to encourage the people around us. And so as we look in Acts chapter 20 today, I think the text is going to show us how encouragement, man, it's, it's not just essential, but it becomes a powerful ministry. It becomes a beacon of light that, 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 that illuminates both the church and individual Christians to be all that God has called us to be. We need encouragement. And the great thing is if encouragement is not natural to you, uh, the Apostle Paul is going to show us three simple ways for us to encourage other people in this text. The first one, you encourage others simply with your presence. I mean, here, here's what it said, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul had sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed to Macedonia. And while he'd gone through those regions, he had given them much encouragement. Again, like, like, like context, here we are. Paul has been in, in, in Ephesus for about two years. And uh, remember, his time in Ephesus ended in this near riot from last week. Remember, as Paul is, is preaching the gospel, taught, preaching about how, man, the gospel, Jesus sets us free, gives us this joy and peace that we, we long for and satisfies the deepest desires of our heart. 
Remember, as, as Paul's preaching this message, people are beginning to turn and say, man, if this God is going to be the one who sets me free, why am I pursuing idols? And, and people begin to realize, man, those idols that are made from man's hand are not real gods anyways. And so all of a sudden, you've got the silversmiths and the shopkeepers who make all these little trinkets and, and, and little miniature statues of these false gods. They're like, hey, since people are becoming Christian, they're not buying our trinkets. They're not buying our little false idols. And so they get angry, and they start this riot in Ephesus. Eventually, it calms down because one of the mayors steps in and, and, and gets people's head on straight. And, and this is what Paul's doing, though, at that point. Paul says, it's time for me to go, but before I go, I'm going to go around encouraging the region. Now, here, here's what I love about this is Paul, like Paul's the guy, right? I mean, Paul is the apostle. He's the church planter. He's the guy who's writing Bible. Like, he's pretty significant. He's pretty important. Yet he's taking time to encourage the believers, to encourage the churches. And notice what it says he's doing. How's he doing that? He's not holding these huge religious revivals. He's not doing these, these massive uh, service projects. He's not doing, what is he simply doing? He's simply being present. He's simply hanging out with the people. He's simply saying, let's be together and allowing his presence to be an encouragement. Listen, the idea of our presence being an encouragement to other people, man, it is so huge. It is so huge. Sometimes the greatest thing that we can do for somebody is simply to be present. In fact, I'm excited this Christmas, starting in December, our Christmas sermon series is called Presence Over Presence. Presence over presence. See what we're doing there? On how sometimes the greatest gift that we can give is not stuff. It's, it's not stuff we can give to somebody. Sometimes the greatest thing that we can do is simply to be present with them. Because our presence often speaks so much value and encouragement to people. And that's what Paul's doing. Paul's traveling around the region being present, encouraging the people. Verse 3, it says he's going to spend three months in Greece until another plot uh, starts against to take his life. And so he moves on to, to Troas. Troas is a, is a little town on the northern tip of, of Turkey. And uh, verses 4 through 6, uh, there are some traveling companions uh, that go with, with, with Paul. And I'm not even going to try and read those names because uh, Jake butchered them once. And well, I don't need to butcher them twice. Once dead already. So... Uh, they go, and they get to Charos, and verse 7, it says, on the first day of the week, and I want to stop right there because that's kind of a cool little snippet. Verse 7, it says, the first day of the week, they gathered for worship. This is the first time in the Bible that we see the church gathering on a Sunday, on the first day of the week. Typically, what happened in Jewish culture is you would worship on the Sabbath. You'd worship on Saturday. But here in Acts chapter 20, for the first time, I don't know if this had become... Uh, just by happenstance that they were meeting on the Sabbath or, or meeting on Sunday or whether it had become their, their practice at that point. But this is the first time we see the church gathering on Sunday. And obviously we know this is going to become the tradition in the church as we gather on Sunday commemorating the resurrection of Jesus. But this is kind of a cool little snippet because this is the first time we see it in Scripture. So verse 7, it says, On Sunday they gathered together to break bread, and Paul talked with them, and intending to depart the next day. Again, notice what Paul's doing. Paul's encouraging them with his presence, but not just his presence. 
He's also encouraging with his words. You see that? Paul talked with them. In fact, look back at verse 2. This is in the Christian Standard Bible, in the Christian Standard Version. Verse 2 actually says, when he passed through those areas, he offered many words of encouragement. See, not only is Paul showing up and encouraging people with his presence by saying, man, I'm with you. I'm here with you. Let's talk. Let's hang out. He's also using his words. He's speaking words of encouragement, words of support, teaching, all these different things. In fact, dropping down at verse 7 where we were, it says, Paul talked with them, and listen to this, he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, when I first read that, I'm like, that's a long sermon, right? Like, there's times if I preach for 40 minutes, some of you are like, hey, I see you banging your, your watch at me. You're like, Pastor Kevin, you need, to, you need to wrap up. Can you imagine preaching until midnight? All right, but I will say this. I'm not sure this was actually uh, him preaching till midnight. That word for speaking actually is not the same word that uh, the Greek uses for preaching. And so the picture for this is probably more kind of like, kind of like what happens when you hang out in the lobby after service, right? It's kind of like after church, you're hanging out. Maybe when you have dinner with somebody and you're done with dinner and you kind of move to the living room. And, and what do you do? You're just talking. You're talking life. You're talking about maybe the sermon you just heard. You're kind of talking and filling in what's going on. You're giving some encouragement. Talking about what the Lord is doing in their life. I mean, that's kind of the context here is, is they're gathered together. They're excited to be together. And they're, just, they're just, just talking. Just using their words to encourage one another. Now, one of the things that I think is, is, is so cool, and, and I love seeing this. Uh, one of the things I've loved about the book of Acts uh, is I love seeing the partnership between Barnabas and Paul, Right? Like Paul, we know he's the guy. Like he's the church planner. He is the guy who's driven. He's a strategist. He, he's the guy who's always on the go. Hey, we're going to go plant another church. We're going to go to this place. He, and he's bold in the way he proclaims the gospel. He's like, hey, I'll proclaim the gospel to anybody, even if it's going to get me beaten. Like that's who Paul is. But Paul had this great partnership with Barnabas. Remember what Barnabas is? He's the son of encouragement. He's the one who comes alongside Paul when nobody else will. And what does he do? He encourages Paul. And you kind of see, I love that partnership because it kind of showed us that that mission, being driven for the mission of God and encouragement, they're kinda, they kind of go together. They're kind of like peanut butter and jelly. They just go together. And now as Paul and Barnabas, they've separated, I can picture Paul going through the region saying, hey, that gift that Barnabas had, that gift of encouragement, even though I'm driven for the mission, man, that gift of encouragement is so necessary. And so literally we see Paul busy going through the region, going through the churches, going to the Christians, the individual homes and saying, man, I want to encourage you. My presence, encourage you with my words. Encourage you, hey, keep up the good work. Keep the faith. Keep living for Jesus. So we see Paul, he's encouraging them with his presence. He's encouraging with his words. And finally, he's encouraging them with his actions. Again, looking back, verse 7, Paul prolonged talking to them until midnight. Verse 8 says there was many uh, lamps in the upper room. And a young man named Eutychus was sitting in the window and sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked even longer. Maybe the picture for this would be 
Like, you know, uh, after church, when us adults are talking and the kids are kind of like, come on, can't we leave yet? I picture that being this teenager, and he's like, man, you, can't you guys be done talking? He's sitting, and he falls asleep. Now, it gets good. Verse 9, being overcome with sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. That's not where it gets good. That sounds really bad. That's not good, okay? But that's what happened to this guy. Verse 10, here's where it gets good. Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed. His life is in him. Paul brings him and wraps him up and says, don't be alarmed, this guy. His life is in him. And Paul goes back up. He eats some food. He talks a little bit longer. He talks until morning and departed. And verse 12 says, they took the youth away alive. And they were not little comforted. That means they were a lot comforted. That means they were encouraged. They were encouraged. Well, I think most of us would say raising some from the dead like, I'm not, I'm not sure any of us have that ability. Like, anybody have that spiritual gift? I'm not sure we do. But I think you get this picture that oftentimes just our actions are such an encouragement. When we're willing to serve others, to, to meet their needs, needs, to do something kind, there's so much power in us through our actions encouraging other people, helping one another. This is why I think I love this passage, because the book of Acts, man, the book of Acts is just nonstop. It's go, go, go. We're going to plant churches. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to go to the next place. You see Paul preaching and preaching and preaching the gospel, the gospel. We see lives change constantly. Yet I think these verses 1 through 16 are intentional. Because despite how important the mission is, I don't think we can miss how important encouragement is. That encouragement is, is a necessary component, not just for Christians, but for churches, for us to be all that God has called us to be. In fact, here's my summary for this message. Here's my summary. The gift of encouragement is a powerful fuel that propels both personal and church growth to new heights. You realize that? Like your encouragement is a fuel that God uses to propel people to new heights, to be all that God has called them to be. Your encouragement to the church, to Christians, man, it has so much influence and power and potential. A couple of ways I want to apply this for you this morning. Number one, I want to encourage you to receive the encouragement that God has given to you. Because I love the pattern that Paul gives. Paul encourages them with his presence, with his word, and with his actions. But do you know that God encourages us in much the same way? I mean, doesn't God encourage us with his presence? I mean, isn't this what Christmas is all about? Christmas is all about God incarnate, God with us. God chose to leave heaven and come to the earth to be with us. It's all about his presence. In fact, Psalm 23, I just keep coming back to that in my mind, in my own personal life, where I'm like, 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 like he's our good shepherd. You know what a shepherd is? A shepherd is with us. He, he guides us. He leads us. And then Psalm 23, verse 4, you've got that great verse that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your presence is with me. Man, how great is it to know that God encourages us with his presence? There's nothing that we can ever do that would separate us from his love. 
He also has encouraged us with his word. I mean, isn't it great that God's given us the Bible? Like we have God's word given to us. And sometimes what's funny is, is people, we get the Bible all wrong. We think, oh, the Bible, that's just a list of rules I have to do to follow to make God happy. It's just all the things I have to do. Listen, that's not at all what the Bible is. The Bible is God's love letter revealing himself to us. There's so much encouragement when we understand what the Bible is and we begin to read it for what it's worth. And we can know God. Man, it is beautiful that God encourages us with his word. Not only that, God encourages us with his actions. Isn't there so much that God does for us? He loves us. He shows up. He heals us. He gives us good things. But obviously, the greatest thing that God has done for us is he suffered in our place on the cross. That literally on the, on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? So we could experience the righteousness of God. How great is it for us to know that God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son in our place? Like how, how could we not be blown away by the actions that he has done for us? As I begin to think about encouragement, like, man, isn't this what the church needs to be reminded of on a regular basis? Think about the encouragement that God's given to us. He's given us his presence. He's given us his word. He's given us his son on the cross. How can we not be encouraged? How can we not desire to have our life transformed because of that? How great of a God we have. Number one, I want to encourage you to receive God's encouragement. Number two, the question I have for you is, who can you encourage this week? Again, if we're talking about the empower of encouragement, if we're talking about how as Christians, we're called to encourage one another, the question I want you to think about today, and I want you to come up with an answer, is who will you encourage this week? Again, Paul has given us a blueprint for how to do that, right? We encourage with our presence, with our words, and with our actions. So simply, man, who is it that God needs you to be present for? Like we've all understood the power of presence. When we're struggling and someone just shows up and is like, hey, I'm here, what can I do? Who is God calling you to be present to this week? Be mindful of those who are lonely. I think about this time of the year, I think as we head into the holidays, I think about people who have lost a loved one and how oftentimes in the middle of that loss, in the, in the funeral, man, everybody's there. Oh, I'm here for you. And guess what? They go back to their life while that person who's lost that, they're still grieving. It's, it, it's a long process. Like, do you realize, like, 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 this holiday season, like, this is the time for us to be present, to say, I see you. Can I come and sit with you? Can I come and, and, and hold your hand and cry and weep and, and just be present with you? Miss, and that presence is so powerful. I think about this. I think we've got Thanksgiving coming up this week. You talk about presence. Do you know how many people will sit at home by themselves? Man, maybe simply just inviting someone in to say, hey, let's do this together. Come, come celebrate with us. We have turkey and pie and all those other things. Come and have it with us. Again, it's presence. It's presence. 
I think about the church. I think about our mini ministry at Roosevelt Elementary School. It's been phenomenal to see. We've probably got 15 people plugged in at Roosevelt. And I'll tell you what, you know what's going to make the difference for those kids? It's not what we're teaching. We've got, we're running this after-school program. We're trying to teach kids these great values and things. And that's good. That's not going to make the biggest difference. We've got some leaders that show up and we count kids as they run laps. Oh, there's one lap and there's two laps. And that's not making the biggest difference. You know what the biggest difference is? Showing up. Simply being present. Our presence speaks so much value to those kids who are used to people not showing up. Are used to people say, hey, I'll be there, and they don't show up. Man, our presence. Who is God calling you to be present to this week? Man, encourage somebody. How are you going to use your words to do that? Again, think about like, like how somebody's encouraging words have been so impactful to you. I mean, I think, about, I think about just the simple things of saying, hey, I see God's hand on you. I see God's hand on you. And the way he's wired you, the way he's gifted you. And I just want to encourage you in that. Do you know how encouraging that can be? Do you know how transforming that can be? To say, hey, I've seen growth in you. I've seen you taking some positive steps. I'm proud of you. Do you understand the impact that we can make with our words just to notice somebody and give them a word of encouragement? I mean, I mean oftentimes in church, we talk about prophetic words. And I'll say this. I think the, the greatest prophetic word as not us trying to predict the future in somebody's life. The greatest prophetic word is us fanning into flame what God is already doing in a person's life. Hey, I see this in you. I see what God is doing, and I want to encourage you in that. I see you striving as a, as a young mom trying to navigate this. I see you striving as a student. I see you trying to use your gifts to serve the kingdom. I just want to say I see it. I'm encouraged by it. Keep going. There's so much power in a rightly timed word of encouragement in somebody's life. Who can you encourage this week with your actions? See, little things make a huge impact. In fact, uh, uh, such a cool thing. I saw this uh, here a week or two ago. There are some friends from our church, and I'm not going to say who because that will spoil the fun of it. Uh, they won't get God's blessings if I tell you who did it. But some friends in our church, uh, there's another couple that's a little bit older, little has some health struggles, and they went and raked leaves in their yard. Do you know how beautiful that is? Do you know how much encouragement that speaks just to saying, hey, let me come and do something practical and simple for you? Uh, again, some other folks, nah, I'm not going to mention who, uh, someone in the church had a birthday. And guess what they do? Hey, I'm going to bring you some flowers. Again, it's a simple thing. It's a little thing. But do you know how encouraging that is? Do you know how much love spreads and joy comes from the little things? That's why we've got the giving tree outside. We've got a giving tree out here to say there are some nonprofits. And we specifically, when we asked the nonprofits, we said, hey, what we want is we want some things that will go to directly to the people you're serving this Christmas. So we have the opportunity to take a little tag off the tree and go pick up a, a hygiene kit for uh, the Union Gospel Mission. They send a team out every night out to the, to the river and to the camps just to go and, and bless people. Encouragement. Man, take some of those tags 
buy the gift, bring it back, and let us be an encouragement in our community through our actions. Two, uh, <laughs> a couple ways to think about how you might apply this, about who you might be an encouragement to. Uh, think about the church. Like, we've talked about this a couple of times. Do you understand how transformative it would be in our church? If we came to church not expecting to receive, but we came to church and said, God, who am I here for today? Do you understand like how powerful it would be if we walked into church not to say, I can't wait to hear the great worship because I love it, and I can't wait to, to hear the pastor preach that mediocre sermon, and I can't wait to hear a great joke. But do you understand how powerful it would be if it, we came into church and saying, God, who do you want me to speak to today? Who do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to encourage? Who do you want me to notice? Do you understand how powerful that would be in the church? Whew, gets me excited thinking about it. What if you reframed your Sunday morning from being, what am I going to receive to God? Who is it you want me to encourage? And then I think about this week. We're going to gather together with friends and family for Thanksgiving. You know, it's, it's funny. We gather with Thanksgiving, and there's all those weird things that happen in family dynamics, right? You've got the weird uncle nobody wants to sit next to. You've got the father-in-law who takes a three-foot three fork and takes food off your plate and feeds it to himself. Literally, that's the thing. Like, we've got those weird things. <laughs> Maybe you are the weird thing. <laughs> What would it look like for you to be an encouragement at Thanksgiving this week? To be present with somebody rather than arguing about politics or bringing up the past. What if you came to Thanksgiving and said, I have words of encouragement for everybody? How beautiful that would be for your family? Setting a new standard? What if Instead of taking the turkey leftovers to yourself, what if you said, no, I'm going to give the leftovers away? That was really bad, but it's an idea. What does it look like for you to be encouragement to your family at Thanksgiving this week? Let me close with, with a story just to remind us of how powerful our encouragement can be. There's a little girl named uh, Mary. Grew up knowing she was different than all the other kids, and she hated it. She hated feeling like she was an outsider. She hated feeling different. Mary was born with a, a cleft palate. So she was uh, the, the brunt of all the jokes and had the, the cruel stares of the children. Sometimes the jokes are hard, but sometimes the worst thing is the stares you get when you look a little different than everybody else. Those kids teased her nonstop because of her misshaped lip and her, and her crooked nose and her garbled speech. And Mary hated school because at school she just felt so different. And she became convinced that no one outside of her mom and dad could ever love her because of the way she was treated at school. Until she got to Mrs. Leonard's class. 1950s, it was common for uh, teachers to give an annual hearing test that was called the whisper test. And what would happen uh, is they'd bring the child up to the front of the classroom, have the child turn sideways, and they say, I want you to take one hand and cover your ear. And the teacher from her, disc would, from, her disc, from her desk 
would speak something. The grass is green. The sky is blue. Your your shoes are white. She'd speak it from her desk, and the child would then repeat what they heard to verify whether they can hear or not. To Mary, this was another humiliating, humiliating exercise. Due to the cleft palate, she had a hard time hearing. So she thought, here's how I'm going to make the most of this. I'm going to pretend to cover my ear. And I'm going to hope I can hear what she says so I don't have to be humiliated in front of the entire class again. But that day was different for Mary. Because God put seven words of encouragement in Mrs. Leonard's mouth. When Mary got called forward for the whisper test, Mary heard the words from Mrs. Leonard. I wish... You were my little girl. Words of encouragement that changed Mary's life forever. Do me a favor, look around this room. Look around. You don't know what everybody's going through. You don't know the depression. You don't know the financial struggles. You don't know the marriages that are struggling. You don't know the parents that are barely keeping their head above water. You don't know you don't know the addiction and the shame. You don't know the anxiety and the worry. Our encouragement is desperately needed. Because none of us, none of us will be all that God has called us to be without it. Your encouragement might just be the thing that God uses to make all the difference in a single person's life. So let us consider how we might spur one another on to good works. How we might encourage one another all the more as we see the coming of